I want to call your attention now to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. And we'll read, beginning at verse 22. James 1, 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. May God bless the reading of Holy Scripture to our hearts today. <clears throat> the verses before us speak of the Word of God being heard and being received. We did not read uh, verse 21, but it, it speaks of receiving the Word of God and receiving it with meekness which is able to save our souls. And we are to receive it, it says. And the verses that we have read give some definition to what it is to receive the word of God, to receive it rightly. It is, number one, to hear it. And number two, to do it. And we should not take the first of those for granted. There are some who never hear the word of God in any shape or form. It's a great blessing to be a hearer of the word. It's a blessing to have opportunity, freedom, health, means to gather together and hear the word as we are here this day. But as great a blessing as it is to hear the word, that is not all that is involved in receiving the word. Receiving the word involves doing, or in other words, obeying the word that we hear. Our Lord Jesus made the same uh, distinction in the Sermon on the Mount at the very end when he talks about those who hear his word but don't obey it, contrasted with those who hear his word and obey it. And the one who hears and does not obey is like one who builds a house on a foundation of sand. You don't have to be a builder to know that that's not going to last. That's not the right way to build. We must be hearers and doers. We must obey what he tells us to do. Not just be acquainted with his instruction, but to be following his instruction. 
Now, in the verses before us here, James compares the word of God to a mirror. Our old translation calls it a glass in verse 23. But in those days, a mirror was not made of glass as today. They were made of, or a mirror was made of metal that was smoothed and polished so that it could make at least something of a reflection. They were made of brass. We're told that wealthy people made them out of, or had them made out of gold even. This is what James says the word of God is like. It's like a mirror in which we see our reflection. And we want to pursue this some here by God's grace in this message today and consider how that God's word reveals ourselves to us like a mirror shows us our own face. Now, just from a purely uh, human standpoint, mirrors are fascinating things. To be able to see yourself as others see you is is a, just an interesting thing in itself. Children are often fascinated with their reflection in a mirror. Even some animals show some interest uh, in looking into a mirror. The women in the nation of Israel who were in Egypt at the time of the Exodus and had to make a, a swift exit from Egypt, though they were in a great hurry, they managed to take with them their mirrors. That's no surprise. Every woman <laughs> likes her mirror. We know that is so because they later donated those brass uh, mirrors to be used in making the laver for the tabernacle. Mirrors go back a long ways, you see. I have known of some who refused to have mirrors in their home lest they encourage vanity, vain, proud uh, thoughts of self and spending time in front of the mirror. Well, I appreciate the, the concern about that, but the, the reality is we all need a mirror. We may want to use it sparingly, but we need to use it enough to avoid offending others by anything that we can fix about our appearance. Now, when we come to the mirror of God's word, we look into it and we see ourselves as God sees us, what we see may surprise us. It may be so different than what we expect that we don't even recognize 
ourselves as we look into the mirror of Scripture. Sometimes you may see a dog who looks at his reflection in a glass or looks at his reflection in a pool of water and he doesn't recognize himself and what he sees disturbs him and he thinks it's a a, a mean, ugly dog and so he starts barking. And that's the way that we are naturally when we look into the mirror of Holy Scripture. We don't like what we see. And it offends us. Scripture reveals what we really look like. What we really are. What this text calls our natural face. Verse 23. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like unto a man beholding his natural face, his genuine face, the one that he was born with. That's what Scripture shows us. It shows us our real face in the sight of God. Scripture doesn't show us what we wish we looked like or what we pretend to look like to others. Or what we hope others will see in us. When we look into scripture, we don't see what friends who flatter us tell us we look like. It tells us what we really look like. We would prefer a different kind of mirror. We would prefer a mirror like those at a carnival that can make weak people look strong. You can take little skinny arms and make them look great big. And it can take people that are great big and make them look, you know, thin and so on. That's the kind of mirror that we want, one that's flattering to us. The Word of God is not that kind of mirror, is it? It tells us exactly who we are. And so let's have a look. In a way, this is something of a follow-up to what we've been considering for the last three Lord's Days in our 10 o'clock class on the doctrine of sin and the fall. But I hope that this will drive it home to our hearts even further. And we'll repeat many of the same scriptures that we've seen in chapter 6 there in our Confession of Faith. As we look into the mirror of Scripture, here's the first thing that we see. We see that we look like Adam. We look like Adam after the fall. We look like Adam in sin. We read it, I think, twice already here this morning. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And again, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We look in the mirror and we see a sinner. We don't see a perfect person. We don't see someone even close to that. We see a sinner. 
And we see one who is subject to death. The mirror of Holy Scripture tells us this. There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Again from the book of Ecclesiastes. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright. That is, Adam in the original creation. Made upright, made in the image of God. But they have sought out many inventions. There's the fall into sin. Seeking out evil plans and purposes. Again, later on in Ecclesiastes, it says, I'm sorry, that's the book of Job, that man drinks iniquity like water. That's a picture of ourselves. Drinking water. As, as a body drinks water, a sinner drinks in sin. He's a fountain of sin in another sense. And yes, though Adam was originally made in God's image and likeness, now we more resemble the devil himself in our sin. That's what we see when we look into the mirror of God's word. We move forward to the scene at the flood, the condition of the world at the flood. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Nothing good there at all in the sight of God. And it goes on to say, God looked upon the earth there in Genesis 6, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And then, even after the flood, what was true of the heart of man, the same sad, sinful Description, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, from his youth. We move on to the mirror in the Psalms and listen to these very clear words from Psalm 14. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. To see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Are there any? Is is there even one? Here's the answer. They are all gone aside. They've all gone astray. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No. Not one. Surely there's one. I mean, there's how many billions of people on? There's got to be one. No, no, not even one. We are all fallen and sinners in Adam before God. We do not have any godly inclinations. We decline rather than incline toward him. So what else does the Psalms tell us? 
Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says, before I came out of the womb, from the time of conception and the time that that I was being formed in my mother's womb, I was in sin and iniquity. Sin is born in us. This is what the mirror tells us, what it shows us. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. You know, it's just so obvious. How can anyone deny it? Any, any parent who has, has raised a child or children, you don't have to teach them to lie. They do that on their own. You try to teach them to tell the truth. And it's an uphill battle. That's who we are by nature, all of us. We are natural liars. We're not born with a clean slate. We're born filthy in the sight of God. So much so that the Proverbs tell us a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now there's a message for Mother's Day. A child left to himself brings his mother to shame. If you just leave the kid alone and let him do his own thing, it'll be the wrong thing. And a shameful thing. We need God's grace to intervene. And and we need His grace to work through the mother and the father to intervene. and, And to be an instrument of grace in that young life. We go on and uh, look at the mirror another way from the book of Isaiah. And it says, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The very best that we can do in the sight of God is, is repulsive to him. Well, let's see what Jeremiah tells us. Let's look at the mirror from another angle. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll find a more agreeable part of the mirror. Well, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. There's nothing more deceitful than the human heart. It's the most deceitful thing. And it is desperately wicked. Not just a little bad, but very bad. So bad that we can't even know how bad it is. Who can know it. Well, God searches the heart. God knows how bad we are. He sees us perfectly. We come to the New Testament and look in the mirror, and what do we see? Jesus says that we're the slaves of sin. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Or the slave of sin. We are in bondage. We can't break loose. And we don't want to break loose. We want to stay in that bondage. It's a willing bondage. It's doubly evil, therefore. 
we could read all of Romans chapter 1 and see all manner of sin described here. But let me just read a few verses from Romans chapter 1. Here's the mirror. Here's what we look like. This is a description of man apart from God, outside of saving grace, filled, it says, with all unrighteousness. Not just a little drop, but full of unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Again, the word full, full of envy, murder, debate or strife and deceit. Malignity, that is, bad character. Whisperers, that is, slanderers. Backbiters, haters of God. Despiteful. Proud. Boasters. Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, that is angry and irreconcilable, and unmerciful, and finding pleasure in sin and in others who sin along with us. Oh, this is... This is painful, but this is, this is what we look like in the sight of God, and it's how we need to see ourselves in reality. This passage, a couple of chapters over, explains how that if we examine man from head to toe, he's corrupt from top to bottom. Their throat is an open sepulcher, they're with their tongues, they've used deceit and so on. There, and then it goes down to the feet. The feet are swift to shed blood and destruction and misery are in their ways in the way of peace. Have they not known there's no fear of God before their eyes? Now listen to the conclusion here at this point. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That last phrase is what we see in the mirror when we look, we see ourselves guilty before God, a guilty sinner. No excuse, no defense, no argument. Our mouth stopped, our mouth shut. Nothing to say except guilty, guilty before God. None is naturally good in the sight of God. As we look at the affections, or I'm sorry, at, at the elements of the soul, we see corruption in every aspect, our mind, our 
heart or affections and our will. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, again, here's the mirror of the Word of God. We look into it, and what do we see? We see that our mind is blind to the truth of God. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. In our natural state, our minds are blinded to God, blinded to His truth, blinded to His glory. Our very reasoning capacity is is ruined and clouded. Even our memory is unreliable and and the proof of that is we forget good things and remember bad things. We fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's the first faculty of the soul, the mind, and then the affections, the heart. Our affections are against God so that we love sin and hate righteousness. We read of this in John chapter 3. These are the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. God shines his light and we don't want to see it. We love the darkness. We love our sin. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. There's the affections. There's the heart. We don't want to come to the light lest our deeds should be reproved. Again, it's out of the heart that evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and blasphemies come. And the third faculty of our soul is our will, our decision-making faculty. And our will is perverted. Jesus said in John chapter 5, Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. We're not willing. We want nothing to do with Jesus unless it's an imaginary Jesus, not the Jesus of Holy Scripture. And so our, our whole person, head to toe, our mind, affections, and will, our very, our, our very soul is an unspeakable sight in the mirror of God's Word. So we've just looked at some selected passages here today. I want to ask you this question. Do you like what you see? As you look into God's mirror, do you like what you see? Or is it an awful sight? Can you say honestly and with deep conviction with David, my sin is ever before me. I look into scripture and I see myself as nothing but a sinner. Worse than I realize.
perhaps some may say, well, I know how bad I am, and I'm really bad. My friend, you're worse than that. (laughs) No matter how bad you think you are, you're worse than that. The only one that knows how bad we are is God himself. And he sees all of our sin. And I hope that as we have considered these various scriptures here today, that the doctrine of the depravity of our hearts is not just a theory, but that it comes home to our heart as a painful reality. Because it is only in as much as we are convicted of sin that we look to Christ to be saved and find righteousness in Him. Now, having taken at least a brief look in the mirror of God's Word, Let's consider some wrong reactions. Perhaps we should begin even before James begins here with this. There are some who refuse to look in the mirror. And they, they, they see a mirror and they look away. They see a Bible and they don't dare open it up and read it. They don't want to see anything. They refuse to hear the truth. They refuse to see the reality. They shut their eyes. What a sad condition. That Ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away. It only makes it worse. Another wrong reaction to what we see in the mirror is to deny that it's really you. Say, well, I think I see some people I know described in those verses, but that's not me. I'm not that bad. No, I'm no saint. I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I look better than that. I remember as a boy in school when it came time for the photographer to come around and take school pictures and then, you know, a few weeks later all the the prints come in and everybody looks at them and then there's an announcement made that says, now if you don't like your picture, the photographer will be back next week to take pictures once again. And always there were a few girls in the class who would say, oh, this picture of me is awful. I've got to make an appointment with the photographer when he comes back. This picture doesn't doesn't do me justice, you know. Uh, You look at the picture and you look at the girl and you think, well, it kind of looks like you. But she didn't like the picture. You know, there was something wrong with the camera or the angle or the lighting or the photographer. Anything except the girl herself. That's how we all are. 
with the picture of ourselves that we see in God's word. We don't like what we see. Let's, let's take another picture. You know, there's a man in the Old Testament named Hazael. And the prophet of God told him, you're going to become king over Syria and you're going to be absolutely brutal and horrible against the nation of Israel. You're going to kill the women and children. Hazael says, I'm not that bad. I wouldn't do anything like that. That's not me. Well, it wasn't long before Hazael was killing the women and children in Israel. That was who he was. After all, though he didn't want to admit it and he didn't recognize himself in the way that the prophet described him. Well, beloved, we must not deny who we are. We must not deny our sin. As we look into the mirror of Scripture, we must say, that's me. That's who I am. Another wrong reaction, and this is what James mentions to us here in this text, is having looked into the mirror, To forget. To turn and walk away and forget what you saw. If any, he says, be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself. And then what? Does he fix what's wrong? Does he wash the dirt off of his face and, you know, comb his hair and... Uh, put on a clean shirt and look presentable? No. He looks at himself, goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. He doesn't do anything about his appearance. James says this is a man who hears the word but doesn't obey the word. He forgets about it. He becomes occupied with other things, and he goes around all day long looking unpresentable. And the spiritual application of this you cannot miss. How many people today in a church service will hear the truth of God's word and they will look into the mirror and see the ugly sight of themselves in the sight of God. And they will, sitting there listening, be convicted and they will think, I really should do something. I really must change. I cannot go on in this path of sin. I need to turn a corner. I need to change. Then they'll go home, and they'll go to work tomorrow, and they'll forget everything that they heard in church. And they will continue on in the path of sin, and within 24 hours they'll be so wrapped up with the world and the job and family responsibilities or maybe recreation and fun and shopping and, and whatnot and the impact of what they heard from God's word 
is completely lost. That's what James is describing here. Having seen the blemishes on their souls and having resolved to make some improvements, they end up defiling themselves even more. That's such a sad reality. And it is indefensible and inexcusable. But if we just hear the word and don't follow the word, that's who we are like. Now, very quickly here, let's consider the right response. And that's given in verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and that's a a nickname for the word of God. It is the perfect law of liberty. Whoso looketh into this and continueth therein. In other words, he looks at the mirror of God's word and he obeys it. He not, just, he not only hears it, but he is a doer of the word and continues therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Just a couple of things to point out here. Verse 24 uses the word behold. Verse 25 uses the word look. The forgetful hearer. It says, did behold himself. But the faithful hearer, the obedient hearer, is said to look. And look is even a stronger word than behold. The word that is used with reference to the disciples on the resurrection day who stooped down to inspect the empty tomb. It wasn't just a a passing glance. It was stooping down in order to carefully examine that tomb. And this is what's being described here. We must... Look carefully, humble ourselves and stoop down as it were and look carefully and examine carefully the word of God. The word implies a desire to be well acquainted with something, to make a diligent inquiry. And that is what our attitude to the word of God must be. We must look into it. May God help us to carefully examine the Word of God and not just to read it carelessly and casually, but carefully with an open heart to receive what God has for us. This is the right response to what we see in the mirror, namely, to be a doer of the Word. To obey the word of God. You see, God's word reveals our sin to us. Not just to leave us in our sin. But so that we might turn from it. And we might seek pardon from it. And deliverance from it. In the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In other words, to be a doer of the word in in a gospel sense is to repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've come here today and we've looked into the mirror of, of Holy Scripture. And I hope that all of us are in a great measure convicted of our sin. But that's not how we want to leave and go home. We want to obey the gospel and come to Christ and find in Him righteousness, perfection in the sight of God. To have our sins covered with His obedience and blood and to be in a right standing with God and to go home as the publican who prayed for mercy, justified in the sight of God. Yes, we look into the mirror to see ourselves as we really are, but we also look into the mirror to see Christ as He really is, as a perfect, all-sufficient Savior that we desperately need. This is the right response to looking into the mirror. And there's one more thing mentioned here. Notice in verse 25 the word continueth. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Here is the, the Christian walk. Here is a whole life of walking with Christ. Walking in obedience. Continuing a pattern of Godliness that God in His grace develops in us. Faithful, ongoing obedience. This is the proof of our claim to be His disciple. He said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And a passage that that must be quoted here somewhere is this one. Uses the same illustration as our text. We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's the continuing in the Word and continuing to look at Christ as He is revealed. And, And so... You have to see that the mirror of Scripture serves this double purpose. It not only shows us ourselves and how wrong we are, but it shows us Christ and how perfectly suited He is as a Savior for people like us. As we look to Christ... We are reconciled to God and justified. As we look at Christ, we become more like Him and are sanctified. This double use of the mirror is brought out in a few lines here by John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress. In part two here where... The pilgrim's wife, Christiana, is 
along with others, making the pilgrimage from this world to the celestial city. And uh, a woman, young woman named Mercy has married Christiana's son and is, is her daughter-in-law now. And while they are in the shepherd's palace in the delectable mountains, Mercy sees an object that she longs to have as her own. And it's a mirror. It's a looking glass or a mirror. And listen to how it's described. Now the glass was one of a thousand. It would present a man one way with his own feature exactly. And turn it but another way, and it would show one the very face and similitude of the prince of pilgrims himself. There's the double use. You see yourself, but you also see Christ in Holy Scripture. Yea, I have talked with them that can tell, and they have said that they have seen the very crown of thorns upon his head by looking in that glass. They have therein also seen the holes in his hands and his feet and his side. Yea, such an excellency is there in that glass that it will show him to one where they have a mind to see him. In other words, you'll see Christ in all of the aspects of his life, whether living or dead, whether in earth or heaven whether in a state of humiliation or in his exaltation, whether coming to suffer or coming to reign. We see Christ in Holy Scripture as just the perfect Savior that our souls desperately need and the only hope, the only hope for our salvation. Well, we must draw to a close here. Have you seen yourself in the mirror? Have you seen yourself as God sees you? Have you seen enough? Have you seen so much that it's sickening to you? I hope so. If you can say yes, That book describes me exactly how I am. But it's not how I want to be. And my friend, the only thing to do is look away and look to Christ and see Him in the mirror of Scripture. See His face. See His glory. See Him as the Savior of sinners. We emphasize this doctrine of sin and depravity, I say, because it's only in as much as we see ourselves as sinners that we will appreciate Christ as a Savior. How bad is our sin? It is so bad that the only remedy for it is for the Son of God to come to this earth And live a perfect life. And then.
to lay down that perfect life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the only remedy. That's how bad. You, you, can, you can know something of the disease by the cure that it requires. The only cure for sin is nothing less than and nothing short of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But thank God that remedy has come. And now we must look to him and be saved by him. We started out reading about the Pharisee and the publican praying in the temple. What happened to that publican? He looked into the mirror and saw all that he could stand of himself. And he cries out for mercy. And God was merciful to him. And that self-righteous Pharisee, he looked into the mirror and he liked what he saw. How could that be? He wasn't being honest. He wasn't looking at the mirror as he should. Or he too would have been pleading for mercy. And so let me urge you today. Come to Christ. Look to him for mercy. Call upon him. And he will put away your sin. And he will reconcile you to God. And he will do a work of transformation in your heart to change you and make you love obedience to God and love His Word and to love holiness 